Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I am under the firm opinion, I'm one of these people, and you may choose to agree or disagree with me, and that's fine. If you agree with me, that's great. If you disagree with me, you're allowed to be wrong. It's okay. I'm of the firm opinion that the era between the 1980s and the 1990s was the greatest era for film history ever. Some of the most epic films came out within that time area. And I'm telling you, they're, they're films that set new standards. They're films that affect a culture. They are films that affect even a lot of who we are, if we're going to be honest. I mean, the reason I wear aviator sunglasses is because I believe Top Gun is the greatest movie ever invented. Talk to me, Goose. And I, I tell you, I love it. The, the reason why hockey is my favorite sport ever over football, the reason hockey is the greatest sport is because the Mighty Ducks was a big part of my childhood. Epic movies. And we cannot talk about the most iconic movies ever without mentioning The Karate Kid. One of the greatest films of all time. And that is the reason why I took karate for over a decade. It's also a reason why I am a huge fan and have this fascination with bonsai trees. I think bonsai trees are awesome. The way you can shape them, the way they grow. I love to study about bonsai trees. In fact, it's gotten to the point where I actually watch YouTube videos about bonsai trees. I know how thrilling is that, right? But I love bonsai trees. And recently I discovered this video on YouTube. It's about 25 minutes long. And I sat there and watched the entire thing. And it's of this tree, it's of this arborist. That's someone who takes care of a tree. He finds this 70-year-old bonsai tree that is dying. Now, 70 years, that's about the span of your human life, give or take. And his goal was, as the arborist, to restore this tree back to health. To do what he had to do to bring this tree back to life. And so in the video, you can see him. You can see him begin to, I just about took this thing off the stand. That would have been bad. But in the video, it's so cool. You can see the arborist begin to cut and snip away at the tree. And while you see his hands doing the work, he's beginning to narrate over top. And he's saying things like, if you notice what I'm doing here, or do you see the discoloration here? Or do you see what I'm doing here? And what he discovered as he was working on this tree is that the tree has lived in a shallow pot its entire life. So therefore, it had very very bad root system and it led to unhealthy branches and it couldn't produce fruit the way it was meant to produce fruit. And so he began to repot the plant. He began to trim it and shape it. If you know anything about bonsai trees, you can actually trim or shape them. Uh, You can coerce them to go a certain way. And you do this for the sake of a healthy tree. You do this for the sake of getting the tree to receive the correct amount of sunlight And so he begins to snip and trim away at this tree. And then he begins to repot the plant. He gave it a bunch of fresh soil. Then he started to shape the tree. And then he time-lapsed the video. Then he time-lapsed the video. Doug, if we can go to that next one. He time-lapsed the video to where 
what he did was he filmed the tree's transformation over a long period of time. Then he sped up the video so you could see the transformation of the tree in a short period of time. And so as this time lapse is happening, he continues to work, he continues to narrate, and he keeps coming back and saying, if you notice what I'm doing, I'm trimming the tree. And I'm trimming it here, and I'm trimming it again, and I'm trimming it some more, and I'm trimming it, and I'm trimming it. And then he says something very profound. He said, the only way this tree will not just survive, but thrive, is if you continue to trim it. The only way this tree will not just survive, but thrive, to become healthy again, to begin producing fruit, is if you continue to trim it. I tell you that story today because when we dive into John chapter 15, we're going to find that Jesus basically says the exact same thing. If we want to be a people who follow Jesus, and if we want to be a people who don't just follow Jesus, who don't just go to church or do Christian Jesus things, but if we want to be a people who are deeply abiding in the goodness of who he is, he's going to basically say the exact same thing. There's a necessary act of trimming that has to take place in our life if we want any semblance of remaining in him. Simply put, and this is what I want us to see today, if you want to remain in Jesus, you absolutely have to be trimmed by him. If you want to remain in Jesus, you absolutely have to be trimmed by him. There is no such thing as remaining without trimming. And there's no such thing as trimming that doesn't therefore lead to this remaining and inevitably bearing fruit. If you want to remain in him, you have to be trimmed by him. This is what he's going to show us today in John chapter 15 as we look at this last I am statement that Jesus makes that we find in the gospel of John. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at John chapter 15. We're going to begin by just looking in verse 1. Then we're going to talk about why Jesus has to make this statement. The reason behind him making this statement. Then we're going to come back and we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 and talk about the two implications of trimming. The two ways God trims us. All right, so here is this I am statement, profound statement that Jesus makes in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now this text, the Gospel of John, originally written in the Greek translation, when Jesus says I am, he is using the phrase ego I me. Egoimi, which is the Greek translation of what God said to Moses all those years ago at the burning bush when he said to Moses, tell my people, I am who I am, I am has sent you. That is the name God has for himself. This is the name that Jesus is now claiming for himself to say, I am God in flesh. He is saying, I have divine authority. There's really no way around this idea that if we're going to follow Jesus, we cannot just follow Jesus as a good human person. You have to follow him as his fully human and fully divine self and say that he is a God worthy of all allegiance and he is also a human worthy of you pursuing to model your life after. All of who you are should pursue to look like Jesus and all of who you are has to be laid before him. He is fully God, fully man. He is the I am. He is God in flesh. And so... If you remember from uh, this series, we talked about these I am statements. And these I am statements, they reveal things on multiple levels. When Jesus says I am, he is making a claim to be God in flesh. And then, and then, and this is so cool, the second part of those statements, whether it is I am the true vine or I am the, uh, the good shepherd, I am the gate, 
He is revealing a deeper look into who he is, what he does for us, and how he mediates between us and God. And so here in John chapter 15, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, notice how he doesn't say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine, which implies what? That there's a vine that's not true. And then he says, my father who is in heaven, my father who sent me, the father who sends the spirit to dwell, the father who said, this is my son who, within who I am well pleased. He, he's the gardener. He's the worker of the garden. And so we need to unpack this. We need to unpack this because if we get what Jesus is saying here in verse one, then the rest of this will make so much more sense. We need to understand why. Because when Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father's gardener, this statement that he is making here, it is both theological and historical. All right, theological and historical. Because Jesus knows that the majority of the people who would hear this at this time, it's his disciples, right? But then when the Gospel of John starts to be written and the New Testament church starts, Jesus knows that the majority of the people at the time who would eventually read this or hear this, they're Jewish followers of God. There are people who their lineage could be traced all the way back to Abraham. There were people who their lineage could be traced back to the people who were led out of captivity in Egypt and led into the promised land. They were indeed God's chosen people. His chosen ones. Now, we need to remember throughout this, uh, our, our teaching today is that Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that we, you and I, who are non-Jewish followers of Yeshua, non-Jewish followers of Jesus, we have actually been grafted into the blessings, the promises, and the, and the salvation that God offers through his son, Christ Jesus. We are now a part of what he is doing we are in with the people of Israel, but they were originally God's chosen people. And all of these blessings, all of these promises, all of these good things originally existed for the people of Israel. And what we know is in the Old Testament, God would often refer to his people as being his vine. He would say, they are my grapevine. He would say, they are my vine. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. I wouldn't recommend going right now. But if you have ever been to Israel, I've never been. There are all of these um, pockets of flourishing all over the land, agricultural flourishing. And the biggest thing that grows there is grapes. Grape growing is big over there. And so it's so cool. I don't know if you've ever seen a vineyard, but these vines, they just sprout up and they spread out all over the place. They produce all of these grapes and it's beautiful. And so God would often tell us, people, you are my grapevine. You are my vineyard and you have a job and your job is to produce fruit. He would say, you are my vine. I am the gardener. And the reason why, why you grow and the reason why I give life to you and the reason why I, I, I protect you and the reason why I deliver you and the reason why I give all these promises to you is not for you alone. But he would always say it's for the rest of the world. He would say, you are my vineyard meant to produce fruit so that the world can take of that fruit and it will be a blessing to them. This is literally the covenant that God made with Abraham. The Old Testament, God makes this covenant with Abraham and he says, you will be a blessing, not just for your family, not just for your immediate people, but for the entire world. A nation would be birthed out of Abraham. They would be God's chosen people. The Messiah comes through this nation. 
So the people of God were always meant to be broken, to be squeezed out and poured out for the thriving of the rest of the world. But the story of the people of Israel is that they were pretty much terrible at that. You can read from Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Kings, Psalms, uh, um, Ezra, Malachi, anywhere and everywhere in between. The story of the people of Israel is the story of you and I. God delivers us. God calls us. God is faithful to us. And then we mess it up. And so when Jesus makes this I am statement, what he is doing is he is making a statement on the people of Israel. He is saying, you were the vine. You were the vine, but you were failing to produce the fruit that God meant for you to produce. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, God is speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And what's so interesting is at this time, the people of Israel are less than a year away from the Babylonians coming in and wiping them out. All right, you can read about this in Haggai and in Ezra. This is actually the second exile of the nation of Israel. So these people are about ready to come in and destroy them. And God's been warning them. God's been saying, hey, hey, you're not listening to me. You're not being faithful to me. You're worshiping other gods, but not me. You, you are going to other nations seeking their approval and not mine. And so this is God's response to that. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 3, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah saying, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Judge between me and my people. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? God is saying, what more could I have done for the people that I love? He's saying, I am a good God. I am the God who led them out of slavery, led them out of bondage. I am the God who led them into the promised land. When they were in the promised land, they wanted nothing to do with me. I said, hey, take Jericho. They didn't want to take Jericho. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, what did they do? They built a golden calf to worship. He provided them kings when he didn't want them to have kings. He provided them this incredible land. He is so unbelievably generous to his people. And he's saying, what more could I have done for my people? This vineyard, than what I have already done for it. When I look for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Now, I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither prune nor cultivate it, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. He's saying, I'm going to take away the protective elements of the vineyard. I, I will break down its walls. I, the, the hedge will be torn up. It will be destroyed. Here's what's amazing about God. Because they have done all this, God still loves them. God is not through using them. God's not saying, you missed it, you're done, get out. 
In fact, God is willing to do some pretty drastic things for the sake of bringing his people back to him. He's willing. That, that's love. That's love. A whole group of people have historically bailed on the goodness of God time and time and time and time and time again. And God says, I'm still going to let my delight in them reign over them. They're still the people I delight in. I'm still going to let my love be shown towards them. I'm still going to use them. The Bible shows us that. But he has to do what he has to do to bring his people back to him, to restore them, to redeem them. Here's the kicker, though. Church, sometimes God's love for you and I can look like him revoking the protective walls of our life. Didn't get an amen on that one. Let's think about this. God still loves his people. He still uses them. Their lineage is still blessed. He did not break his covenant with Abraham. Jesus still comes through this lineage he, he still wants to use his people. But here just a few moments ago, he said, I'm going to tear down its walls. I'm, I'm not going to even pour rain on it. I love it that much. It's amazing to me because so many of us all the time, we're here saying, God, pour rain. God, provide. God, heal. God, fix. God, make new. God, God, God. What if the rain isn't coming because it's actually good for you? What if the rain not coming? What if the walls not being built is what actually brings you back to God and that's what he cares about most? He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. So he's saying historically, the people who said that they were closest to God were actually far from him. And so Jesus is like, here's the deal. You were the vine, but you failed to produce. So instead of being done with everything, instead of burning it all up, instead of, instead of saying, let's rip up the garden and just be done with this, he says, no, I'll become the vine. I'll just become the vine. That's verse one. I am the true vine. This means we don't have to be the vine. That in and of itself is the gospel the good news of Jesus, the fact that we can't bear fruit on our own and we need him. Sometimes God has to tear us down to the roots in order to build us back up. Sometimes Jesus says, I have to not only show you how you were incapable, but now I'm gonna show you how I'm gonna make you capable. And this is why he says, I am now the true vine. And so now this is where the trimming comes into play. So we're going to read verses 1 through 17 of our text. Then we're going to talk about the two implications of trimming. Starting verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. You know, we have to remember this now. We're a part of this. This is not just the people of Israel. Paul says in Romans, we have been grafted into, so we now have an affiliation with Jesus and we are a part of what he's doing. And Jesus says, he cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit, meaning there's nothing in their life that resembles any kind of Jesus at all. They, they say they love me, but they don't know me. 
They say they're a part of my body, a part of the church, but they want nothing to do with the church. They say they care about the spirit of God, but no one can see the spirit of God in them. There's nothing in their life that resembles Jesus. There is no fruit, and so he cuts. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now the word prune here, it means to shape or to, or to trim. Just like the bonsai tree, he is shaping, cutting away the different pieces for the sake of making the tree healthy. It is amazing because so many of us think that God's trimming work in our life is like a punishment. Meant to destroy us, meant to beat us down and serves no purpose. But it's the opposite. He says, I am doing these things so that, so that more fruit can be shown, so that the world can see more of Jesus in your life. What an honor it is that God wants to use us to show off Jesus. He says, this is why I do it. It's so that you are different, not destroyed. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Now he's going to start using words like remain, abide, love, trim. All of that is synonymous with one another. Okay, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. No lone-ranging Christians can exist. All right? It has to remain in the vine. You can't say you're about Jesus but not delight in Jesus. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Meaning, you cannot look anything like the kingdom of God if you are not abiding in the kingdom of God. There's a theological argument to be made here. And that is, it's very, 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 very difficult to look anything like Jesus if you are not participating in what he calls the body of Christ, the church. And can I say, it's very difficult to participate if the body of Christ for you is some Facebook live stream of a church 700 miles away or a podcast on your phone. The church was meant for you to dwell in, abide in, so that the church, the body as a whole, can produce fruit. Think of it this way. You will never, ever see a healthy vine with just one grape on it. You will never see a healthy branch with one piece of fruit on it. Those are the branches that are unhealthy and he cuts away. We were meant for community. We were meant to dwell in the body. I am the vine you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch, here we go, that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now notice how the subject hasn't changed here. All right, this idea of pruning, remaining, abiding, all of this is still in context. And it's amazing because what Jesus is saying is that pruning is equivalent to remaining, which is equivalent to being in love with God or remaining in his love. So what Jesus is doing here is he is teaching us a theology on what love actually is. 
Love, WCC, is not feely feels. Love is not affirmation. And love is definitely not saying, well, the world's doing it, so it's only appropriate if I encourage it. No, he has these different descriptions here. He's saying abiding in, remaining. He's saying being pruned by, delighting in. He's saying all of these have to work together. If there's no abiding, there's no love. If there's no pruning, there's no love. You can say the word L-O-V-E, love, and think you're using it appropriately and still be wrong. Can I tell you something? A lot of Christians use it wrong. A lot of Christians are buying into what the world says love is. They're not buying into what Jesus says love actually is. Love is the act of abiding in Jesus to the point where it can actually hurt and change you. And then you will love others with the same type of affection, allowing them to be trimmed, snipped, hurt, and changed for the glory of God, not for their feels. Verse 10, if you keep my, I'm sorry, Doug, can we go back one? Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Isn't it interesting how so many of us, we want step two, but we don't want to do step one. We want the joy to be in us. We want to live in the fullness of joy, right? But Jesus says here, that can't happen. Your joy can't be complete until step one. His joy is in you. And if his joy is in you, that means you are abiding him in him, remaining in him, which means you are being trimmed by him. So simply put, if you want the fullness of joy in your life, if you want to live a life full of joy, you absolutely have to be trimmed by Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learn from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name and the Father's will, though the Father will give to you, this is my command, love each other. There are so many different ways we can go with this. So many different things we can look at. But the thing I want to talk about right now is probably the thing that a lot of Christians don't want to talk about. And that's this idea of being trimmed. Because when we talk about this, whatever word you want to use, whether it's being trimmed, pruned, shaped, um, corrected, or sanctified, whatever word you want to use, a lot of Christians don't like to talk about it. And I think the reason is we don't have a really robust view on what that is. So we're going to talk about the two different ways that he trims us. So for my note takers, we have preemptive trimming, and redemptive trimming. Preemptive trimming and redemptive trimming. So we're going to start with the first one here. Preemptive trimming is the act of God moving in your life 
in such a way that he is either preparing you for something that is coming or he is shaping you just like the bonsai tree. He prunes, he shapes, he snips off the pieces of your life that he does not find pleasing. And he is doing this so that he can move your life in the direction of becoming the person he called you to be. Another way to say this is preemptive trimming and sanctification go hand in hand. All right, this idea of sanctification is God calls every one of his followers to pursue a life of holiness. And we can't do it on our own. He knows that. And so sanctification is the act of God shaping you or moving you, trimming you towards holiness. Just like Jesus, trimming us towards holiness. This is what he does. This is the act of sanctification in our lives. Now, (laughs) a lot of us don't like this. Because if we're being honest, preemptive trimming, God working on us in this way, it can be uncomfortable, sometimes painful. Listen, every single act of your life and every single movement of the entire world is either orchestrated by God or it's allowed by God. Meaning nothing happens outside of his knowledge. I don't believe God... I don't believe God orchestrates sin, but he allows it. And I don't believe God messes with our free will, but he is able to redeem anything that is a result of free will. Pretty much meaning he can redeem poor decisions. And because God, he is all-knowing, he is able to somehow be in the present and yet still be in the future He is not restricted by time, space, or matter. He is all-knowing, which means he knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to you next week, next year, 10 years. And because he's all-knowing, he knows when you are going to face something that you're not ready for. And because he cares, he goes to work in your life, shaping, trimming, preparing you. And it doesn't always make sense and you begin to feel the Holy Spirit moving and you feel these other types of feelings like maybe it's impatience or maybe it's frustration or maybe the scripture starts to speak to you on a very specific matter or maybe you start to feel conviction or maybe you're in a season where it feels like you're suffering and you're saying, wow, I, I, I don't know why I'm going through this. I'm dealing with this loss over here and this loss over here. It feels like I'm being beat up over here and I'm being beat up over here. And it feels like I'm going through this turmoil and it feels like I'm dealing with this brokenness. Why is this happening? Well, let me first tell you something that we already know. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to face turmoil He knows what it's like to be broken. We need to also remember, Jesus did not just look to the cross. He could see what was on the other side of the cross. He could see resurrection and life. And I tell you that to say this, whatever you're going through this morning, Jesus sees you, he sees where you're at, but he also sees what's on the other side. And because he can see what's on the other side, he could very well be telling you this morning, 
I am going to use this season of your life. Maybe this season was orchestrated by God. Maybe it was just circumstances that happened, but God's ready to redeem. Maybe he's saying, I'm going to use this season to help grow you and prepare you for whatever's ahead, whatever it might be. Maybe down the road, God is looking for another spiritual leader. And he's saying, hey, I need to trust that you are faithful to me and trust me in this season before I move you on to the next. Or maybe down the road, you are going to encounter one of the most worst experiences of your life. And maybe you're not ready for it. And because God loves us, he's not going to say, well, when they get there, I hope they figure it out. He says, no, I have to prepare them. I have to grow them. When God is working in your life, when he is preemptively trimming, it means he sees faults in your life. And most of the time, we don't even see them ourselves. And so he is shaping and moving for the purpose of producing fruit. Just like verse 16 said, fruit that will last, fruit that is of the Spirit. What is the fruit that is of the Spirit? Galatians 5 tells us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or that means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If God is working in your life, he is trying to shape and move you towards producing this kind of fruit. Fruit that will last. If you're going to remain in Jesus, you have to be trimmed by him in this way. And he knows that he has to get to work on your life and do some hard things. But he knows what's on the other side because maybe if he's working in you, maybe when the doctor comes in with the diagnose, you'll be okay. When the loss happens, you'll know how to handle it. Or maybe when the bonus hits the bank account or the $50,000 promotion comes, he has already trained you in generosity so you know how to handle the abundance. Now, don't, don't misquote me. I'm not saying if you're being trimmed by God, you're going to get a $50,000 promotion. No, see, it's not about the situation. It's about who you're connected to in the situation and the fruit that can come out of it. He is preemptively trimming us towards holiness. Then the second one is redemptive trimming. We hear a lot of stories about this one. Redemptive trimming is when God has to step into your life, into the mess of your life that you have either created yourself or you have built this ecosystem of unhealth around you. It it may be caused by uh, your community, your friends, addictions, uh, finances, your job, whatever it is. God has to step into the mess of your life with the fullest intentions of doing a complete restoration and redemption. It is literally just like the bonsai tree and the arborist saying, this tree will die. Because I care about it, I am going to give it a fresh new pot. I'm going to give it fresh new soil. This guy was literally, he had a brush and he was brushing away at the bottom, removing the old soil. He was brushing so hard to the point, I'm like, he's going to kill the tree. But in the end, it made sense. 
You see, he had fresh soil for it. But before he would give it the fresh soil, he wanted to make sure any previous soil was removed. Any semblance of the old soil, any semblance of the life this tree used to have had to be brushed away and gone. Then he would restore. This is God stepping into the mess of our life saying, I feel like I got to redeem and restore the worst of it all. The prodigals, the ones who have run away. Church, we hear testimonies like this all the time and it's wonderful. People have said, who have said, that was me. I ran from God. I wanted nothing to do with God. I didn't want to acknowledge God. Sometimes I didn't even know if God existed. And my life was running out of spiral. But guess what? God was able to step in. He stepped into the mess. He was able to redeem and restore. We hear testimonies like this all the time. For people who said the addiction was out of hand. I was an alcoholic. It was out of hand. I was addicted to pornography. It was out of hand. I was addicted to drugs. It was out of hand. And it felt hopeless. But God was able to step in, redeem, and restore. The people who have said, I've had to do some drastic things to get right with God. We've heard stories of people who have had to uproot their life and completely move away to escape the previous life. We have heard stories from people who have said, I've had to remove friends from my life because they kept leading me down a path of destruction. Church, if there is anyone in your life who continuously draws you away from Jesus, you need to do some trimming yourself. Remove them. You say, Jacob, what about my friends? It doesn't matter. It is better to be lonely pursuing Jesus than to be in community running straight towards hell. There are so many people. There are people in this room at this moment, people watching online, people who said, who, and who's willing to say, I need redemptive trimming. There's nothing preemptive about it. I need redemptive trimming. I need God to step in, tear me down to the roots so he can build me back. And can I tell you something this morning? If that is you, if you're someone who says, I am being redemptively trimmed, or you're someone who says, I need to be redemptively trimmed, let me tell you something. As painful and uncomfortable and difficult as that process is, it is in those moments that you can develop a deeper and more intimate understanding of how far God's grace is willing to go to call you his child. It is where broken people are connected to a healing savior, where a broken branch is connected to the vine. And don't just take my word for it. We have a room full of people in here who have been redemptively trimmed, who have been restored and redeemed. And they will tell you the exact same thing. They will tell you that God's grace knows no bounds. If that's not something to celebrate, I don't know what is. God's grace is endless. God's grace is bountiful. 
Who are we to be trimmed in such a way? But Jesus says, I am the vine. You are now a part of what I'm doing. Because the grace of the Father says you're never too far gone, you can be trimmed. The grace of God's overwhelming. And I love every week we get to celebrate his grace in a time of remembrance and communion. I'm going to invite you to take out your elements. As we think of this bread, I always do this thing during communion where I break the bread in half or the wafer. It's just a gentle reminder to me on how Christ was broken in our place. All right, the vine was broken. But praise God, three days later, it was restored because of the Father. And we are now grafted into what he is doing. We are now a part of the vine. And we remember that every time we partake. So let's take this together. As we look to the cup now, I immediately think, who are we to be trimmed? Who are we that God's grace says, I still want you? I still want to trim you towards holiness. I still want you to bear fruit. We are sinful people. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now a part of what he is doing. He says, you are with me and I am with you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. We remember his grace through the blood. Let's take together. So I actually didn't get to finish the story about the tree. I was wanting to save this towards the end. There's more to the video. And if I'm going to be honest with you, Towards the end, I was getting emotional watching this, watching this guy work on this tree. And I thought, this is crazy. I never get emotional watching a YouTube video. But you see, the first 20 minutes of the video, I'm like, this is incredible. You have this 70-year-old tree that has been taken. He, 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 gave, he works on it. He repotted it, gave it fresh soil. You could start to see the tree become healthy and gain color again. I'm like, this is incredible. But during the time lapse, <laughs> I told Dale it's hard for me to talk with. I knew I'd get emotional again. Towards the end of the time lapse, you could slowly see the tree start to turn gray. The tree started to decay then the tree died this tree that has had so much work put into it decays and dies and I'm sitting here 
holding my dumb iPhone in my hand, watching this video, tears start to fall down because I realized in that moment, what I was watching was the history of a human life. 70 some years of brokenness, of being trimmed, of bad seating, lack of nourishment, with hopes that maybe, just maybe, by year 70, something would change. The tree decayed and died. And what is so heartbreaking to think is there are so many people, even in this room, who believes. Actually, I want to tell you something first. The tree arborist, the guy narrating the video, I want to quote to you word for word what he said. Because this got to me. The arborist said, the reason that the tree died wasn't that he, the arborist, didn't do all he could for it in its last moments. The tree died because it wasn't being trimmed in the right seasons throughout its life. And the sad part is because of this, the tree had so much potential, but it never bared fruit. There are so many people who think that their most important season in their life is when they're 70 and on their deathbed. Who think that's the moment I'll get it right. That's the moment I'll seek connection. That's the moment that matters. That's not further from the truth because you were not promised tomorrow. The truth is, every single one of us at some point in time in our life, God is gonna say your time is done. For some people, that's 70 years, maybe more, maybe less. For some, it's a lot less. As heartbreaking as it is, earlier this week, six high school students got on a bus in Northern Ohio and thought, what am I gonna do when I get home tonight? And they never walked through those doors again. As heartbreaking as that is, you and I are not promised a tomorrow. So I ask you this question, what are you doing with the season you have now? What are you doing with the time you have been given? Because when it comes down to it and God says your time is done, what matters is not your bank account. It's not your social status. It's not your job. It's not the car that's in your driveway. It's not how popular your kids are or how many activities they're involved in. What matters the most in the end is are you connected to the vine? And if you're connected to the vine, fruit will be produced. And I want to encourage us this week to truly evaluate that because we're not promised another season. So what are we doing with this one? Are we allowing God to trim us or are we saying, I want to do this my way. I want to be connected to Jesus, but not being trimmed. Those are the branches he cuts off. But the good news of the grace of God is, he says no matter what season you are in, whether you are a child or 70 years old, he says, I still want you. You can still bear fruit. Just a few weeks ago in that baptistry, a 70-year-old man got in there. And what he said was, it took me 79 years to get here but I'm ready, ready to bear fruit. Evaluate yourself. How's your connection with the vine? We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, 
be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.